Being stuck means knowing that you're in a bad place and that your life isn't getting better, not right now, and you either don't know or you don't have the power to do anything about it. Now most people get stuck sometimes because their motivation dries up for a while or they're depressed about something. But people who were abused or neglected in childhood have extra susceptibility to falling off their path like that. Sometimes it's a freeze response where stress kind of immobilizes you. That's a pattern for some people. Sometimes it's shame where you feel like you don't want to be seen. Maybe you fear getting judged. Sometimes it's a health thing or a financial thing or the fact that you're in a relationship that drains you. It, it's too many things to identify sometimes and you find yourself staying in a terrible situation where you know it's never getting better because it's the closest thing to safety that you have in your life. And a sign that you might be doing that, you know, staying in a bad situation in lieu of safety, is that instead of getting out of the bad situation, you fight it. You fight it only in your mind. Everything is bad. Everyone's against you. Nothing is fair. And yet you make no move to change. So my letter today is from a woman I'll call Connie. And she writes, Dear Anna, after years living away from my dysfunctional family, I moved back due to being burnt out from work and because my younger sister wanted help in not being the only one to deal with our father. All right, I've got the fairy pencil here and I'm gonna circle things that I need to come back to in a second reading, but let's just read through Connie's letter and see what's going on, see if I can help, okay. I have an older sister as well, but she somehow managed to extricate herself from any family members until she chooses to be in charge of, quote, the bigger issues. Example, she's too busy to help our parents with maintenance of the home or reviewing their driver's license, but when my mom had a brief health scare, my older sister was suddenly in charge and giving orders to the rest of us. I also live in the same building with my parents and older sister, plus her family. Okay. After years living away, I thought I had gotten over the hurt and abuse of my childhood experiences, but slowly, without realizing it, things seemed to creep back. Yep. Feelings of not being enough, not good enough, of needing to prove myself were more noticeable. And I think they've always been with me. It's helped me succeed in my career that demanded high standards. I began hearing comments from my dad again about how I'm just lacking in being successful. But growing up in a home where I was compared to be less than my older sister and used as an example to my siblings to not emulate me wasn't easy. I've done many different types of careers, all creative, and after a while it will end for whatever reason. The most recent, I was traumatized. It will end for whatever reason. Hmm. The most recent, I was traumatized at a new job from mobbing and after six months was let go because I couldn't function anymore. At the same time, I was trying to understand the death of my mother's younger sister, who was a scapegoat of her family and ended up alone and isolated from everyone. No one in my family thought the death affected me, but it did. They per perhaps thought this because we never saw her and everyone thought she was weird and that something was wrong with her. I felt bad for this aunt because while she wasn't easy to deal with from what I remember, she was also singled out and I understood how she felt. I remember one family event where my mom, being the eldest sibling, decided that my aunt would sit at the kids table and my older sister sat at the adult table. Oh, that's weird. Not surprising, she never married or was in a relationship, but lived alone and connected only with people at her church. 
Everyone has different childhood experiences and traumas. Mine felt like I was left to wander the world on my own. Starting at a very young age, I was left alone, beaten unconscious. Oh, goodness. Given responsibilities that most children probably don't do unless they had a similar situation, such as learning to prepare and cook the family dinner at age nine, laundry at age five, knowing when I'm sick and taking my own temperature and giving myself medicine, getting up and making my own breakfast at age six. All of these responsibilities were to teach me to be independent and to not expect people to do things for me. That was the explanation my mom gave me. I can't help but think it also made her job a little easier. Both of my parents have their own childhood traumas, which they've accepted as what life will give you. And because of this way of seeing it, they believed their pain and suffering outweighed everything I will ever experience and expected their children to give them the life that they didn't have. Oh, that is weird. Their experiences were pretty bad given the circumstances of their times and the parts of the world they were living. Of course, when anything didn't go according to how they wanted or thought they should be, then it was very dramatic and shaming and at times violent. Growing up, I was the scapegoat, abused primarily by my father and older sister, who was enabled by my mom. Oddly, my parents are convinced they care about me, but I never felt it. Early on, I determined that I couldn't talk to my family or let them know anything about my life or risk them trying to put, to put an end to my goals. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to today, where I'm back living at home with the people who made my life miserable. I'm not unable to move out, and my elderly parents, in turn, expect me to care for them. Recently, I took it upon myself to get back into music again, and recently won an award for amateur piano. I didn't tell anyone about this because growing up, all my efforts to pursue music um, were constantly disrupted. If I wasn't being told only stupid people are good at music, then I'm not allowed to attend parties because I only know stupid people. In college, my older sister convinced my parents I should quit music, and I was forced to quit. When I was accepted to graduate school, this same sister stole my acceptance letter, and I almost missed the deadline to confirm the spot. With this recent award, I will be away for a week for an intensive study with established musicians. When I mentioned I needed help taking care of my cat, no one seemed available or they thought that my cat's diet schedule was too much work. I was also questioned in detail on the award and why I was going, what it was for, why am I going away to play piano for a week. It got too much and I practically exploded. And usually I was told I'm too angry and they're just, and they're just asking questions, as usual. I was told I was too angry. Okay, it's very frustrating to be 47 years old and still so easily triggered by them. I've been doing the daily practice tips and for the most part, it helps. But when I feel like I'm being interrogated for trying to live my life, I suppose I get very defensive. How can someone better manage being among the people who traumatize them? Thank you. Connie. Okay. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry, Connie, but I got you. I think I can help. So you are, this is very interesting to me. Um, I, there's, there's a couple of levels of unconsciousness going on here. Um, not just in you, but in the whole family. So this is a really interesting story. And as it, as you told more and more, my understanding was evolving, but so here's what it was. So many years living away from dysfunctional family, you moved back due to being burnt out from work. You got burned out and you made this bizarre choice to go back. 
and live with people when, I mean, I'm just going to jump the gun here and say, I don't see how you can be happy here. You have so much pain about them and they are so not going to like meet you halfway on this or even 1% of the way on this. And it sounds like you need that to be resolved to be okay. So one of these things has to give. So let's see what it could be. All right. So you also went back because your younger sister wanted help and didn't want to be the only one to deal with your father. You have an older sister, but she somehow managed to extricate herself from any family matters until she chooses to be in charge of the bigger issues. Now, this is interesting because <laughs> what you're describing is somebody who has boundaries. And I believe you that she may not be nice or something. You're, you're talking about her like, like she's done something terrible. So maybe there's also something terrible she's done. But her deciding not to get involved in certain things except when she wants to is called boundaries. And I strongly recommend that you do the same thing. You pick how you want to be involved and the other stuff you don't get involved, just like her. So she's, she's got that going on. And it's common in dysfunctional families when somebody starts doing that. And they're just like, look, I'm, I'm only going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to do stuff that I don't want to do. And people go, ah, you have no right. You have no right. That's what happens. But you know, I'm just going to invite you. I don't know the context of what you hold against her so badly, but you just said like a whole series of really resentful things, put quotation marks on the bigger issues that she thinks she needs to deal with. Um, and you said she's too busy to help with maintenance of the home or reviewing their driver's license. But when mom had a brief health scare, she was suddenly in charge of giving orders to the rest of us. So I can't really diagnose what that's about, why she chooses that as something that she feels like she wants to lead and the other stuff she doesn't. I can hear that you feel slighted, but at the same time, you get to decide not to be involved with the driver's license either. I'm just saying, you know, nobody, nobody's actually doing anything to you. You don't have to do that. And in this particular situation where so much of what you have against your parents is that they didn't care for you properly, you know, I'm just going to remind you, it's, it's nice to have that filial bun and take care of your parent, but it's not mandatory. It's by choice. It, it's by choice. And, um, and when we're going to talk about whether living with them is actually the best way for you to be a positive help to them in any way when it's making you so angry, right? Because even as unconscious as they seem, that probably doesn't feel great for any of you. Okay. Your mom had a health scare. Yeah. And so you said that she lives in the same building with her own family, but she's able or allowed to separate herself until she feels like being there for them. I actually find that to be superb. That's great. She is able and she doesn't need permission. She's a grown woman. Now I'm detecting that your parents are from some other country and maybe it's a culture where kids are absolutely expected and demanded to uh, step in and take care of everything. But you know, your parents violated the basic role too. And anyway, this is now and you get to do what you want to do. So you also live in the same building with your parents and the older sister and her family. After years living away, you thought you had gotten over the hurt and abuse of childhood experiences, but slowly it creeps back. And yes, it does. I know that's the deal. And that's why living back with the parents who abused you, especially when there's, you know, there hasn't been some sort of big healing in your relationship. It's, you know, it's very rare that it wouldn't turn out that way, that it wouldn't sort of grind down and bring a person back to old wounds and old patterns. And that's not good, right? And there is absolutely like a scenario where a person works on themselves and they use this as an opportunity to kind of face that and get stronger around it. But what I'm hearing from you is that you're overwhelmed by circumstances, that you're isolated, really, you're, you're 
everything, literally everything you say in this letter is like how terrible everything is. And I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying that's, that's your life state and your mental state. Everything is bad. And I don't think you're even can see anything else. There's a couple things that I can, you know, I can, I'm sort of like, I can sort of see the blind spot there. You can say you were always compared. Uh, you're criticized by your dad. You've had different types of careers, all creative. And after a while, it always ends for whatever reason. So what's it? Maybe you were just trying to summarize for me there, or maybe you actually lack insight about why your careers keep ending. That would be you know, like all that energy that's going into being angry at your family, like if you could put it on that thing about like, what has caused my careers to end? And what do I really want to be doing for money? Because um, you're 47, you're prime time here to be thinking about this. What do you really want to be doing? And how can you do it really well? And in a happy situation, either, I don't know exactly what you do, but with clients or in a job, you know, and get that right and get that right. That is, I just think that in psychology and trauma literature, that people really overlook the importance of having a way to make a living that works for you. It is so freeing and makes it unnecessary to have to go live with your family or stay in a terrible relationship or anything like that. I'm a big champion of you going and getting on your feet with the career thing. And it sounds like getting ground down by your parents is undermining your ability to show up confidently. And I don't know, you know, I never get to have the context of, of everything here, but this is, you know, just to tell you as helpfully as I can, you come off as if you're very, very trapped in childhood, actually. There's these expectations of people taking care of you. And, um, you know, this thing about the piano, I think it's wonderful. And I think it's really lame that your family can't even be happy about it or like, oh, how neat. But there is old baggage where they didn't let you go to music school. And there is all that stuff. Like none of it seems worked out and it's still totally alive for you. And so this is how trauma can kind of trap you in a perpetual childhood or a perpetual adolescence. And it doesn't work on the job. It doesn't work in romantic relationships. It's one of those things that's very isolating for a person. And that's one reason why healing all of this stuff is really imperative for you to have anything else in your life that's good. And so, you know, I just hope very soon you do, that you have happy things in your life. But that level of like anger, the world is against me, there's kind of like a Charlie Brown theme going on here. I don't know if you're in the US and Charlie Brown cartoon, you know, little comic book. It was in the funnies, Sunday funnies. I can't believe it. I sound like an old person. Charlie Brown. Oh, you know, everything sucks for Charlie Brown. He's always sad and people trick him. And we don't want to be Charlie Brown, right? That's not who we want to be. We want to be free. We want to be free to express ourselves, to decide when we want to participate in helping people and when we don't want to. We need to, we need to be able to confidently say no. We need to speak up if we feel like siblings are taking advantage. So there's a lot here where I just see you in a weakened condition and it's not great. So you told me these stories about what happened in your childhood where your parents, like th this is a weird thing. You said you threw it in there like with a bunch of other things that weren't as heavy, but you just said I was beaten unconscious. I presume by your parents. And I'm so, so sorry that happened. My gosh. So you were left alone, beaten unconscious, given responsibilities that most children don't do. So you had to do all this stuff. I don't know if that was for younger siblings. I relate, I had to do that too. And I guess because I've had a chance to um, process it, I just don't think about it anymore. I, sometimes if people want to know like, what's my background? I'll be like, well, you know, it was bad. And I try to find a few highlights, but it's not like alive in my life anymore. And that's what it looks like for healing.
And the thing about healing is I think a lot of people think, oh, I can't, I can't recover from trauma because the people who hurt me will not cooperate. They're not sorry. They're not apologizing. And they're in my face all the time with this energy of people who are like, you're crazy or whatever they're doing to you. So yeah, of course. But here's, you know, nobody's parents do that. It's very, very rare that anybody's parents come around. I'm not trying to belittle you or, you know, say that it shouldn't feel bad. Of course it feels bad, but I'm just trying to help you face reality right now. Like that's not going to be how it happens. I would, I would put all my money on it. Your parents are not going to come around. They, there's some sort of weird screw loose and this thing that they told you that it was so you could learn to be tough. I don't know. It sounds like alcoholism to me. Was it? It was something like that. Was it mental illness? Was it some sort of cluster B personality thing? Was it trouble? Was, were they breaking the law? I mean, something was going on with those two. See, I'm not you, so I'm just looking at them as like these hypothetical people in the world and people who just have kids but don't take care of them and beat them sometimes and discourage them. What? <sighs> Something's going on now. Like I hear you, they had trauma as kids and you're saying where they came from, it was so bad. Yeah, but that doesn't give anybody a license to treat everybody else badly. And yet, you know, people do. We know none of us would be here watching this channel, right? Or creating videos for it, in my case, if it hadn't happened, like it's common enough. If there's trouble, you know, as I can speak as somebody, I was a single mom, I had two kids. And when there was trouble in my life, it really like, it took a tremendous amount of strength to maintain the focus on the kids, keep the structure, do the homework, make a nutritious dinner, get them to the next place on time, you know, pay attention to play dates, be present for them when they were sad, make sure that their fingernails were clean and they were getting to the dentist. It's a lot. It is a lot. Um, so I, I at least understand a little bit how easy it is for parents to slide off the rails but I just feel like something was going on there. Well, I don't know. I'm speculating about people I don't know, and it doesn't matter. The point is, I mean, you're 47 now, and I want you to see 47 as a glorious number where you're free to not be defined by what happened in the past. And one way to really support yourself in doing that is not to live with them. Now you said, I have to, you use the word, I have to live with them because I'm burned out. So, okay, you've had a rough spell, but every bit of energy you're spending in resentment is robbing you of this, like pulling your focus back in so that you can poo, you know, get your career going career first. When you're living in a good place because you have money again, and yet then you can begin to take care of yourself. And for everybody who writes to me, I'm like, you need support. You need friendships with people who are working on themselves in similar ways. And however you get that, you can get it online. You can do it in the membership program with me. You can do it in 12 step programs. I don't, you know, you certainly qualify for adult children of alcoholics and other dysfunctional families. I don't know if there was alcoholism. That's not really the important thing. It's that you're, you have places to go with people where you get to be real, where it's not just small talk and pretending everything's fine, but you get to go someplace where people are working on themselves and you have access maybe to a woman who would sponsor you, help you work that 12 step program to start getting some separation in all the noise inside about, you know, have you ever heard the serenity prayer, you know, um, about telling the difference between the things you can change and the things you can't change? And so you, ha you need courage to change the things that you can change. And the things you can't change requires acceptance. I never liked that word. But acceptance is a natural byproduct when you get free 
of the fear and resentment that is now driving you. I just hear like everything you say, if you were to take every sentence and start it with, I have fear or I am resentful at name because I have fear they did this, you would then be doing my daily practice. You're so close, like everything you're saying. So this is what we do in the daily practice I teach. It's a really simple technique, but it's very specific. You have to learn it. It'll take you about an hour. There's a free course. I'll show it to you in a, in a link at the end of the video. You can always go there on my website, crappychildhoodfairy.com. All the stuff is there, the courses, coaching, everything. But the daily practice is free and it's a way that you can name those feelings because they're driving you right now. You probably don't even know you're thinking it sometimes and you're trying to tell me how bad it was and it's fine. You're, you know, you're fine. You didn't do anything wrong. But as you're telling me, I can just hear there's this like edge to the whole thing. There's an edge and that edge is keeping you isolated. I, I, I would wager that edge is hard for other people to deal with. Your family, who knows? I don't know. I don't know if you want to be involved with them. I didn't hear you say anything that you liked about them or that they had done nice for you. I wasn't hearing it. So maybe you'll have a change of perspective and that will be a new story. I don't know. But you get to have some space. You get to have some space and work on you. And I think that growing up in a dysfunctional family, that is just one of the cardinal rules of how recovery is going to have to work. Like you're going to have to take back some of the energy that's going to the drama and the problem and work on your life. And that's a really scary proposition for some of us because it's like, what are we going to do? Who's going to help us? What would even work? What will I do if I fail again? You know, I know, I know every side of that cube, you know, <laughs> of why it's so hard to go ahead and make a change that's scary. But it's your time, Connie. It is your time to make a change. And there is so much life left in you. You have all this creativity. You, you won this, um, this piano, amateur piano award. So like, take it as a sign. It is calling you forward into your future where these joyful activities are and they're for you. So yeah, <laughs> when, when you mentioned you wanted to go to this thing and somebody needed to help you and no one would help you and you practically exploded and they said, you're too anger, angry. And they were like, where do you go? Like, where are you going? I thought that could be a scene from a movie where your family who's never noticed that you're passionate about playing piano. And you're like, I want a prize. I'm traveling for a week for it. You know, I'm doing all this nice stuff for myself and they just want to know about it. And I don't know, they could be right. They were just asking questions, but I get why you exploded because even if their questions were reasonable and merely curious, the fact that it took them 47 years is just so painful. So I hear you, I'm really happy for you. And I'm gonna ask everybody in the comments to send you some love and encouragement on that because it's long overdue. Good for you, like almost nobody wins a prize for playing piano, that's such a great sign. And good for you for participating in whatever that was. Like that was a joyous act, that was a courageous, act on your own behalf. You've got it in you, Connie. It's in there. It's in there. So that's how you live with them. You don't. <laughs> but as long as you have to, I'm going to encourage you to get going on the daily practice. Oh, this is what I was going to say. You said, I've tried your daily practice tips. And the fact that you called them tips suggested to me that maybe you haven't really done it. The daily practice is daily. It's two times a day and it takes half an hour twice. And it's pretty, you know, it's a pretty deep practice and it's very, very powerful. But I think if you were doing something that took half an hour twice a day, that the word tip, I was sort of like tips. I, I wasn't really sure what you meant by that. It's a practice, specific technique for writing. Be sure you go to the, the, the online course 
that I made. The freestanding course has a deeper teaching of it than the other courses that have a shorter, older version of it in there. So go learn the big course, the daily practice, and find out how the techniques work. And at least for seven days, give it a chance. Do it exactly as I teach it. Now, if I had my way, everybody would do it exactly as taught. In my experience and in all the people I've ever worked with where I had two-way communication, it doesn't work for people who don't do it, who embellish it or do something less than, you know, if you do it once a day, occasionally it is better than nothing, but it's nothing like when you do it twice a day. So there's no way I can sort of like explain that to you. The more I say about it, the more it's just like I'm selling you on it. And I don't want to do that. Like if you're called to it, you'll try. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.